Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Think about the risks of an investment. That could be evaluating the sponsor. That could be evaluating the asset itself. And I think that's a really important thing that people don't focus on now. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Carl Graham. Carl is joining us from Tulsa, Oklahoma. He is the managing partner of Luminous Capital. They identify, acquire, and operate self-storage facilities that offer added value. Carl's portfolio consists of 12 self-storage facilities. Carl, thank you for joining us, and how are you today? Great. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Carl, it's our pleasure. If you would, give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now. Yeah, sure. Maybe a little bit of an interesting background, but most of my career, my professional career is actually spent in the oil and gas space. My formal education was in actually geology and engineering. And I spent about 12 years tasked trying to find and de-risk oil and gas reserves, actually, all around the middle of the U.S., Texas, Wyoming, Oklahoma. And anyways, in 2020, there was a bit of a downturn in that space related to COVID and found myself with some spare time and had a business partner who had always been interested in real estate and that creative discussion and free time led us to look more into commercial real estate investing. And ultimately that led us to our firm. Now we syndicate our first strategy was focused on self-storage and we were able to acquire the 12 facilities we own now. Actually we sold one, but we acquired 13 facilities in about 18 months and continue to look for those types of opportunities. And we also do direct investment in oil and gas projects as well, which is you know, where mm-hmm. most of our experience is from. 2020, the day that oil went negative. Yeah. I would imagine that prompted you to look for other opportunities in the industry. What does it mean to de-risk oil and gas? Well, it's really similar to real estate. I've found at least a lot of analogy and similarity. Like when you're doing due diligence and when you're underwriting or evaluating a real estate investment, you have two goals. One is to understand what could this be? How much revenue could I generate? 
if I make some changes or if I add some value you know, one way or another. And then the other goal is to understand, well, what could go wrong? What do I need to know to ensure that I get the result that I want? And that might be demographics. That might be looking at competitive supply, looking at comps. And then, of course, actual technical due diligence, making sure there's no hidden issues or, or problems. And it's basically the same in oil and gas. We are trying to understand how much oil is a couple of miles underground, but we don't ever get to look directly at it. There's mostly indirect measures. And so my job then was to take all the data that we could find, every single bit we could get our hands on, to try to reduce the risk, the uncertainty of how much oil is under the ground and how much it'll cost us to get it. We're trying to take that risk from 80% to 50%. And in real estate, in my experience anyways, you're doing the same thing, except the spread and the risk, the uncertainty is much lower because you can see, feel, touch a lot of the things that we need to understand in real estate. Understood. Carl, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but I hear a lot of people say they have oil and gas investments. Is there a real estate play to that? I'll try to keep us out of a rabbit hole. At the end of the day, there's several real estates in the U.S. especially. There's the surface estate, which is where most of us own real property, you know, in the land and structures on it. There's also a mineral estate, which is everything subsurface to the core of the earth. So fundamentally, a company or business who owns and produces oil and gas, they own real estate, but they have rights to the mineral estate, though, and they're producing resources from that estate. So in the sense that there's a scarce there's only so much supply of land and there's only so much supply of minerals and natural resources. So it has a lot of similar similarities in that regard. But from an actual real estate play, it's a very different universe. The uncertainty, the risks, and kind of the technical skill and knowledge you really need to have to be successful is a pretty big barrier, I would say, compared to... Um, compared Self-storage. To, the way I'll explain it is... What I've found in real estate, what I really like about it, and I'm sure you have listeners that can relate to this, is you can start in real estate from anywhere. With a little bit of hard work and a little bit of capital or some good relationships, you can go start and make your first real estate investment. Single family homes, very typical flipping, and then maybe to holding for cash flow, and then maybe you find that first duplex or quadplex, and then you all of a sudden you get a bigger building. That's a very natural career path or storyline that I hear in real estate. And in real upstream oil and gas, like that really is not a thing. The barrier of knowledge and of experience and then the risk capital that you have to have to really get anything done is so tremendous that most of the people in the industry who end up working for themselves or really being an entrepreneur have a pedigreed past or have a huge amount of capital at their disposal to be able to play the game. So... Thank I really for, like that about real estate. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that. Did you look at other asset classes before you decided on self-storage? Yeah, we did actually. So I mentioned my partner. He was the one that really was interested in real estate. I, on the other hand, actually had been searching to acquire a small business. I like operations. I like having a lot of levers to pull and those kinds of things suits me. Operational leverage is a way for me to further bet on myself and on my and my team's abilities rather than just the assets' merits. So real estate, as I understood it, kind of naively was not very exciting to me. I had in my head, like, well, we 
buy a building, we get a five-year lease and then collect checks for five years. That doesn't sound exciting to me. And anyways, our dialogue led us to realizing that there are some asset classes which actually have more operational leverage. They have more of a business kind of layered on top of the asset. And so obviously storage, I think, is one of those. It's a very operational intensive business. Other ones we looked at were marinas and RV parks. The thing that all these have in common is a high churn, short leases, lots of customers per dollar of capital is kind of how I think about it. So ultimately we landed on storage for a number of reasons, but we still like those other asset classes. They just didn't seem like a great place to start. When you say exciting, it sounds like you want a job (laughs) where most of us are shying away from those things because we're afraid of getting back into a job. Yeah. But you want to be able to create efficiencies, improve the operations. To me, my job is to build a machine that can do all the work and allow us to extract all that operational value out of the asset and create value for the investment. And that's the fun part for me. It's not doing the work itself, but trying to build a team and build processes and make that job easy, essentially. When did you take down your first storage deal? It closed January 4th of 2021. Can we dive into the numbers on that? Yeah. What was the purchase price? We bought that for $390,000 and it was, I don't want to distract myself. I'll look up the specific numbers, but it was basically an abandoned facility. We found it on LoopNet and I had been negotiating with the seller for several months when we first came across it, probably about five months earlier than that, honestly. Yeah, it's during the summer and he was an out-of-state owner, hadn't been to the property in two years. And we had to mail him the contract. We actually mailed it to a FedEx facility where he could pick it up. Then we upgraded to fax. So that was a little bit faster, but it was a really interesting negotiation and and transaction. But like I said, it was mostly abandoned. So it was a lease up play. There's different risks in storage you can take. You can take lease up risk. You can take expansion risk or revenue management risk. But this was a lease up play and we actually sold it. it. It was a small property. We got it leased up in about 14 months and then sold it September of 22. For how much? For 925000 What did you have to do to get this facility operational? There was a really long weekend where we got our hands dirty and it needed to be cleaned up, basically. There's overgrown trees and brush. We installed cameras. We upgraded the lighting. It did not have an electric gate, it had just a manual gate with a padlock on it. So that's a very important operational piece of equipment and managerial piece of equipment for a storage facility. So we installed an electronic gate. It has keypads, so that can integrate with our management software. So that's another behind the scenes work of getting it operational is mostly getting your management software set up, getting a website set up, getting on Google My Business. Most storage is found online. So Creating and having a good online presence is really important, but that takes some work. Those are the main things. And then it's a matter of being ready when someone calls you and having the processes in place to do that efficiently. Was there a human involved in that process or was it all automated? There's a human, but not on site. On site, we have what we call a caretaker and they are non-customer facing. Their primary responsibility is to ensure that units are ready and available to rent and that trash is cleaned up 
the facility is secure, that sort of thing, minor repairs, and just an oversight of larger repairs. But the customer rental experience happens, it can happen purely online. A lot of customers will end up calling anyways, and they would talk to our customer service team who answers questions, provides clarity on the process and that sort of thing. But I don't know the specific numbers, but I would bet that in our markets, probably about 25 to 30% of the rentals happen purely online. The rest are on a phone call or there's a phone call involved at least. The difference between sale price and purchase price on this was about $500,000. How much money did you actually put into this property? The CapEx budget, I want to say is around 35000 So a very profitable deal. Yeah. What was your next storage facility that you bought? January 26th, actually, we closed on another facility and we purchased that one for 650000 it's going to be the high watermark deal for us. I would love to be it, but I don't know that we will. We still own it. We refied about 14 months later at a valuation of $1.5 The difference in these two deals from a profitability standpoint is the first one I mentioned, that was an all-equity transaction. We didn't use any debt because there wasn't cash flowing when we purchased it. We could have used debt, but we chose not to. The second one, we used debt pretty aggressively because it was cash flowing and the debt coverage was really strong. So that property, we had around $175,000 of equity into the property. So we refied out about two and a half times our money in a year and we still own it. So what did you have to do to improve that property? That one, a lot of the same capital items. It actually was already running on software. So that was nice and it was full. We installed new lighting, automated gate, security cameras, some new signs, make sure that customer instructions are clear. And then ultimately, we added a lot of value by increasing the rents up to the market rent. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you a real estate investor looking to break into the multifamily investing space? Have you heard of MFIN Con happening in Charlotte, North Carolina, June 12th through the 14th? The Multifamily Investor Nation Convention is a place to learn from over 60 high-level apartment investors while networking with more than 700 additional investors. If that's not enough for you, A-Rod, yep, Alex Rodriguez. 12-time Major League Baseball All-Star with over $700 million of commercial real estate assets. We'll be live and in person speaking at the event. Also speaking is the one and only Dr. Robert Cialdini, the godfather of influence and the award-winning author. I personally love his books. So be sure to secure your tickets to this live in-person event before they're gone. Go to MFINCon.com for more details. Sponsorship opportunities are also available. Visit MFINCON.com today. Use the promo code BESTEVER to get $200 off your tickets. That's MFINCON.com. Carl, the secret's out on self-storage. Everybody knows that it produces great numbers. There's a turnaround play. Cap rates are very low because of that. How are you finding deals today? That's hard. <laughs> it's gotten harder. We started just early enough to be able to see what it used to be like, I guess. And it's been quite the transformation. And from my background in oil and gas, it's an extremely cyclic industry. Real estate is historically cyclic. However, until recently, the real estate industry was in the up leg of the cycle for 10 years or more. So we were very attuned and recognized that this was a good time and that it wasn't going to last. So we acted 
as aggressively and as quickly as we could to secure as many opportunities as we could. And we still missed a lot because we weren't as aggressive as we could have been, I suppose, in hindsight. Aggressive meaning offer more money. Yeah, offer more money, but justify that offer. Basically, we were extremely conservative in a lot of our early underwriting. Those first two deals, for example, we didn't underwrite. We didn't forecast any rent growth at all, zero, for five years. And we underwrote a cap rate that was 50 basis points higher than the prevailing market at the time, which was kind of before things were really compressing. So that was kind of our benchmark. And we were playing catch up with the market all through 2021. Each time we did one of these deals and we saw how quickly we could add value, we got more comfortable and more confident in underwriting rent growth in year one and different cap rates because we were quickly educating ourselves and experimenting. But we were still learning as we were going. So we had to keep a healthy dose of caution. We're in March of 2023. What are you seeing for cap rates today? That's a tricky question, in my opinion, because like you just said, people throw around and you see cap rate numbers advertised, marketed, even talked about. But in storage, because the value add is so immediate, people will look at an in-place cap rate for a purchase and it's really low. But that's not really the metric that the buyers are looking at. They're looking at what's that yield on cost going to be when I'm done with my initial turnaround and my initial mark-to-market in rents. And oftentimes that number in reality is much higher than the advertised 4 or 5 6% cap rate that you might see or hear about. I honestly don't know the answer to your question because it's not something I spend a lot of time focusing on for that reason. You're looking at ARV or after improved value. I'm looking at what the yield on our capital is going to be when I'm done with my value add. All right. So cash on cash returns Yeah. upon improving the property. Yeah. I'm assuming no debt just to get that out of the... Out Why of the do you assume no debt? Just because different deals can be financed differently and interest rates are changing and that confuses the metric. That's basically why. Well, when you go to sell, the next buyer, I'm assuming, is going to evaluate the deal based on applying debt at whatever the prevailing interest rate is. Mm -hmm. Do you ever look at the disposition prospect? Yeah. At our exit, we definitely look at that. And if you applied what some people are touting as a market cap rate on that terminal net operating income, what we have to be careful about is that the exit price per foot can get really, really high. And the reality is storage is a simple product to build. It's not always a simple product to get entitled, but I think there's some risk in a lot of people who've acquired in the last year or two that they're really going to be challenged to get the exit valuation that they underwrote because people are just going to scoff at it. I know I'm doing that. I've done that myself. I've seen deals where it's like, yeah, the NOI is really strong, but this isn't New York City or Los Angeles, and I'm not going to pay you $125 a square foot for a metal building. There's just kind of a fundamental value discrepancy there, I think. Is that the quick and dirty metric that you use, price per square foot, just that, that's to evaluate a, at a high level? Yeah, that's okay. a common back of the envelope. It, it's a relevant metric, particularly in a given market where you know the rent. 
it's difficult to compare different markets, yeah. but yeah. I know in other asset classes, it's common to look at rent per unit or OPEX per unit or valuation per unit or per door or key. We look at things on a per square foot basis because at the end of the day, we are renting square feet and the unit size varies quite a bit. So you can't really look at things on a per unit basis very easily. Good to know. Now, Carl, what does it cost to build new? Is it $60, $70 per square foot? If you ask 10 people that are in the know, they would probably throw the numbers between 55 and 75 out. Obviously, it depends on the product. You have single story, multi-story, climate control or not climate controlled. You can be out in the country and have gravel driveways, or you can be in town and have concrete driveways. All those things obviously impact the cost to build quite a bit. When you purchase a property, are you always buying it at a higher price than the cost to build? We try to do the opposite. I would say almost exclusively all of our acquisitions have been probably at or below replacement cost. We have a couple of newer facilities that were probably closer to replacement cost, but they're full and secured assets. Good. I think that was a turning point with multifamily where in certain markets, it was cheaper to build than it was to buy one or two-year-old apartment buildings. And that to me is a problem. Yeah. That tells you that prices have escalated far beyond where they should have. Somebody yeah. that wants to get into self-storage, what's your recommendation to them? Right now, I would say there's two ways. It's a turbulent and difficult time to honestly get into the space. We've seen lenders just across the board. Terms are more challenging. Pricing is obviously very challenging. And a lot of lenders, if you don't have a pre-existing relationship, it's going to be up uphill battle. But that's one thing. But also, like you mentioned, we don't talk to many storage owners who haven't already talked to a half a dozen brokers or syndicators or cold callers. That's not to say there's not prospects out there. There's 38,000 institutional quality facilities in the country that are not owned by a REIT yet. So plenty to go after. But my advice would be to just depends on your goals. If you have a little bit of your own capital and you want to take down a, a storage facility and make a little bit of money... One approach would be to buy a small facility that's near your home and understand that it's going to be a lifestyle type business. You can run it at a very low operating cost and learn the ropes so that when things change, you have a little bit of a track record and a resume you could take to a lender or to potential investors and say, I know what I'm doing. Here's the proof. And it'd be a more approachable asset. And those smaller assets, there's just fewer people like me that you're not going to be competing with to acquire those. When I say small, you could say under 15,000 rentable square feet. You're just going to have a different group of competitors to acquire those types of facilities. Do you raise capital for these deals? Yeah. And the other way to get into it, depending on your goals, again, is to find qualified and experienced sponsors that you could be a limited partner and invest with. And honestly, I think that's a great strategy. I didn't used to understand the power of investing in direct investments and, and private placements. And I had some friends when I worked in oil and gas who were allocating capital to those people in multifamily eight, 10 years ago. They've done extremely well. Some of them invest with us now. And it's a powerful strategy for the right person who has capital and is not interested in actively managing real estate. 
for our best ever listener that goes out and buys that under 15,000 square foot facility, what should their cash on cash return look like? For me, I think the appropriate yield on cost, again, to take debt out of it, because you can get all sorts of different types of debt and you could be aggressive with how you leverage it, or you could be conservative. But I think an appropriate cap rate for a small property like that really should be 10%. If you're in a call it rural, small market, small facility, for me, I don't think it would be worth it. It was much less than that personally. Good to know. Carl, what's a lesson that you learned, a hard lesson, something that you regret in this industry or through your real estate investing career? (laughs) Most of my regrets have to do with not buying certain facilities very early on when we could have, but I don't truly regret them because it was coming from a place of prudence. So I think that's important to distinguish, but we have been fortunate to not have made any catastrophic mistakes yet. It's relatively early in the game for us, but we also are coming from a place where mistakes are extremely expensive and have been very cautious. What is a typical return to your investors? Is there a preferred return than a split? That's kind of changing for us right now. We're changing with the cost of capital a little bit. I would say typical in the space is 6 to 8% preferred return. There's a myriad of different structures that sponsors offer, but in my opinion, the splits are for a storage business. In particular, if the sponsor is operating the facility and doing a good job of it, it has a real team and real infrastructure to operate the facility. The promotes are usually higher. 30, 35, 40% is not unreasonable in my opinion, as long as the remaining fee burden is low. So for us and our investors, alignment with the investor is the most important thing for us. So we have a relatively light fixed fee burden, and then we ask for a larger split after the preferred is paid. And that's because we're doing a lot of work and a lot of our operational team is creating value as opposed to us third-partying it. And, and storage, unlike, say, multifamily, there's just not as many third-party managers. There are more than there were even two years ago, and I think the quality is increasing, but there's not much. On any given market, there may be none that are already operating in the market. So having the ability to operate as a sponsor is truly a value-add to the investors. Thank you for sharing that. I love creative solutions rather than just a typical 7, 8, 30, 70, right? Every deal we've raised for has been drastically different. So love hearing that. Our number one goal is to align the asset and the business plan with the investors and the partnership structures, what makes that all match. And so, like you said, every deal is different, but we've been trying to find a very specific type of deal that is similar. And so that our investors are comfortable and understand this is another one of those. And we've been successful doing that, but I think you have to be dynamic and change as you see things change around you. And Carl, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? My best advice depends on where you're coming from, but to remain very diligent in how you think about the risks of an investment, that could be evaluating the sponsor, that could be evaluating the asset itself. And I think that's a really important thing that people don't focus on enough. So I'll just leave it there. Carl, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? I'm ready. All right, Carl, what's the best ever book you recently read? There's a book called The Barren Lands, which I frequently recommend. It's one of my favorite books. What was your big takeaway from that? 
it's a book about the discovery of diamonds in North America. And it is a story full of perseverance and grit that you just don't hear about much these days. And it's interesting and exciting. So I think my big takeaway was about what perseverance and determination looks like. It's on my list now. What is the best ever way you like to give back, Carl? Education is highest on my list of ways and places I like to give back. So I serve on some charitable boards and try to leverage my experience and my expertise and to help those organizations thrive and be able to educate children. And Carl, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? They can email me. We have our website, luminouscapital.com. There's a contact form there. My email address is carl at luminouscapital.com. Feel free to email me there as well. Carl, thank you for sharing some great tips on self-storage and sharing your journey from starting in the oil and gas industry, progressing now through self-storage, navigating through some of the challenges. Thank you again for your time. Thank you. It's fun. Best ever listeners, thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.